the South of the Six podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsair. And just like that, the Raptors are on a 10-game winning streak, and Nick Nurse is about to coach his first All-Star game. Welcome to the South of the Six podcast. We are part of the stadium scene.tv network, and we are part of the Overtime Media crew. So with 10 games in a row, the Raptors have won. Nick Nurse and his staff heading to the All-Star game. Serge Ibaka breaking records. There's so much to talk about when it comes to the Toronto Raptors. And joining me to do so is Lior Kozai of RaptorsRapture.com. Lior, what's up, man? I'm good. I'm ready to go. You're ready to go. First of all, I got to say thank you for saving my ass this weekend. I appreciate that very much. <laughs> I figured we could do that while recording instead of off air. So I appreciate that, man. Thank you for coming on on such short notice. I'm, um, I'm an all-star reserve, like a uh, <laughs> wrestler injury reserve going in last year. That's me today. Uh, perfect. I love it. Um, so yeah, yo, the Raptors, uh, they're pretty good so far on a 10-game winning streak. And if memory serves me correct, they're not far off, or maybe even better than at this point last year in the season. Would you agree? Um, yeah, I think the record's right there. It's either one game off or equal, or maybe even one game ahead at this point. Um, like, yeah, like they're just, they're rolling. Um, the schedule obviously took a turn to make it a lot easier right now. Um, but that's because they started with a really tough one. And, um, I mean, shouts to Alex Wong of Yahoo Sports Canada. He basically said, after the i think it was the minnesota and washington games or before Mm. the minnesota game he basically said the raptors have this easy schedule they're going to go on a 12 game win streak and i mean they're five sixths of the way there they just need this chicago game on sunday and they'll be right there with the chance to get to 12 which would be a franchise record it's ridiculous um, yeah it's pretty incredible and yeah last year I think they were, um, after 48, they were 35 and 13. Oh, so, wow. yeah. So now at 35, and 14. Mean, 35, 35 and 14, yeah. basically one loss behind that pace. Or last year, it was 36 and 13. So one game <laughs> behind that pace. And that was a 56-win team. Obviously, towards the end, they kind of sealed up the second seed. So it wasn't an issue. But uh yeah, it's pretty impressive what these Raptors are doing. Especially with all the injuries, right? And, you know, try as the basketball gods might to say, uh, no, Raptors, you're not supposed to be this good. You're injured. You're <laughs> injured. You're Like, they, they give them, like, the touch of death, more or less. And, you know, it, it just doesn't keep them from slowing down, right? Like, we've had Lowry down in certain portions of the season. We've had Gasol down now. Abaka down at certain points. Of course, Patrick McCaw went down at certain points, and we just can't <laughs> win games without him. But Norman Powell and stuff, it's just ridiculous. I think, like, six of their seven top rotation players have missed at least 10 games. Oh, like, my we've got Lowry, Fred Vliet, Norman Powell, Marcus Sol, Serge Ibaka. They all missed double-digit games. That is unreal that they were able to maintain this level of play and um pascal siakam as well missed all that time so you're talking about the entire rotation at various points was out for a significant amount of games and i think a lot of the people who we always talk about how they underestimated the raptors coming into the season their expectation was oh something goes wrong and the team stumbles a little bit due to injuries or otherwise and then they trade everyone and the team did get the injuries that you would think would make them stumble and then give up on the season and they've just been so resilient and the bench has been so good the coaching has been so good and the defense has been as we know fantastic and that's helped them hang in there um lowry's been fantastic of course amid all those other injuries more more recently because um, because Lowry was like the one guy yeah. still healthy in like a sea of all these injuries. So just the, just the resilience has been incredible and that's how they've gotten to this point. And now with everyone healthy, we just see like they're the second best team in the East. I don't think it's even up for debate anymore. 
it's not up for debate at this moment in time. Uh, of course, there are some trade deadline uh, theories and talks that we have to get into later on in the show. But if everything still remains status quo, which I sort of think will happen, depending on how aggressive the teams surrounding the Raptors want to be, uh, I do think that the Raptors are the second best team in the East. Um, in fact, like I, I wasn't a strong believer in Miami. I know that the first half of their schedule in comparison to Toronto's was fairly easy, if not very easy. And the second half of Miami's schedule should be a little bit more challenging in comparison to the Raptors. Um, and, you know, the Celtics are who they are. I, I don't see them making any sort of noise at the trade deadline just because Danny Ainge is always so apprehensive to do so. The only team that sort of worries me coming up is uh, not Philadelphia, but Indiana. Like, Indiana is a team that I'm keeping my eye on because, you know, with Victor Oladipo back, yes, he's playing limited minutes as of right now in comparison to what he was doing last year, uh, what, before the injury, of course. But uh, they're a team that could take the second half of the season by surge. What do you think? Yeah, it's a good point. Like, no one really thinks about Indiana because they've kind of always been just, um, since they got Oladipo, they've been kind of the stellar defensive team, but always a little step behind on offense. Not enough juice, kind of, not enough creators. But now they've got Brogdon with Oladipo once, the, once Brogdon gets back healthy again. And you're talking about one of the best backcourts in the East, two really good offensive creators, smart players, good shooters, um, and obviously Sabonis in the front court. So you've got a really good, solid team on both ends. And it's going to be really interesting to see those two matchups against them next week, almost back. Because yeah. that's just a really good test for the Raptors. Obviously, like I said, like they haven't played good teams in a while. So it will be good to see how they stack up against a team like Indiana. And yeah, I agree with your points on Miami and Boston. Miami plays a lot of rookies. They struggle on the road, only 11 and 12. And Boston, like you said, they kind of are who they are and they don't have a strong front court. And I think that's a lot of um, kind of going to be their downfall, especially if they match up with Philly, like the current <laughs> playoff picture is that team is just, that's their nightmare matchup. Right. And if, it, if it's a Boston Philly three, six matchup, I think Boston might even try to get out of that matchup towards the end of the season and like slide to four or something just because they don't want that matchup. Yeah, they're cowards. <laughs> I mean, that's just the best way I can put it. Um, but look, look, we're recording this Saturday afternoon. The Raptors, as we were saying, they're they're solidified second place. Thanks to the to the Boston Celtics initially for beating the Miami Heat. We appreciate the the assist uh, this past. I think it was last weekend or what? Ha- I think it was Sunday of last uh, week. But uh, Tuesday, I think Tuesday was. Yeah, okay. Um, but as I mentioned, we're recording this Saturday afternoon. Uh, there's still a whole lot of basketball left to be played. Um, so let's, let's just jump right into it. Um, before we get into Raptors talk though, I would be remiss if we did not touch on the tragic and untimely death of Kobe Bryant. Um, I don't need to rehash all the details. Everybody should by now know about all the details, but it was approximately one week ago that Kobe Bryant and his 13 year old daughter Gianna passed away. Um, he was a monumental and influential figure in the NBA and it's an, he was an important thread in the fabric of its history and one that won't be forgotten. So look. There have been a lot of audio mediums, video mediums discussing, uh, you know, the life of Kobe Bryant. Um, you can take this however you want. You can go in any direction you want. If you want to celebrate it, him in some way, go for it. If you want to be somber in some way, go for it. It doesn't matter. The floor is yours. Um, you can go as much little or, you know, a, a lot of detail as you want to in terms of Kobe Bryant and the legacy he had on the NBA or if he had any special significance to you. Go for it, man. Take it away. Well, I was never, like, the biggest Kobe fan, personally. Just, like, he wasn't, like, one of my favorite players or anything. Like, I wasn't big on the Lakers or anything. But I think that's kind of, it kind of speaks to the impact that he made on basketball and the basketball world in that, like, despite me not being, like, a huge Kobe fan, I was still just, like, so shocked and just crushed by the news and by finding out, um and by like the whole thing that happened and it's just such a tragedy um and we obviously saw like just how he touched so many lives um not only in california and la but like around the world and they even had like a memorial for him in toronto Mm. with like hundreds of people coming out and like just around the world um just all these former players telling stories about him and even commentators like 
Michael Wilbon had a really touching story last night on the broadcast about how Kobe visited him in the hospital when he had a heart attack and like was just just he was just um he's a great example of kind of personal growth because we saw obviously with early in his career he had some mistakes he had the obviously the big case the big um sexual assault case and then later like um uh, like he said a homophobic slur to a ref but he kind of he's a good example of personal growth just off the court in terms of like becoming a better person becoming a good father um like apologizing for his mistakes and like some things you can't always make up but like he did his best to do that and off the court obviously after his career he became a great advocate for women's basketball and he just impacted so many people and i think that's why people are so heartbroken and crushed by this because really like just the whole thing was so tragic with him being a father of four and his daughter at 13 and obviously like seven other people it's just really like the saddest sports moment i can remember in my life at least um yeah and i i don't know what else there is to say what do you think i feel you i i i'm glad you you kicked it off by saying you weren't like the the biggest kobe bryant fan because that's sort of the same boat that i'm in um there's something about you know when when a celebrity dies i'm the kind of guy that just sort of like reflects and say like, okay, I don't, I didn't really have that much of a personal or even like an artistic connection to this individual. Um, uh, you know, and I, and I don't wish any untimely death on anyone, but when a lot of celebrities die, a lot of people tend to like, I don't want to say overreact, but like search for a connection that may have another, not otherwise have been there. Um, and like you see like Facebook statuses about like a, a short little, personal eulogy to this individual and i'm not talking just kobe bryant i'm talking about anybody it's just sort of i i never actually got that i I never was that kind of person that wanted to like vocalize my piece about a, a celebrity or, or an influential figure that had an untimely death um i think what hit me hard about the kobe bryant death was you know not just because of the fabric of the nba community because like you know doing this podcast and doing you know the website for as long as i did and you know, talking to other people that are, like, huge fans of the NBA, it's sort of like there are ripple effects, and it sort of reverberates around, to, especially on NBA Twitter. Like, there's a lot of it happening, um, and for good reason. Um, so in that aspect, when you, when you talk about the NBA on a daily basis, or when you, you know, participate in whatever, you know, way with the NBA, it, it, you're going to have some sort of impact on it. It's a cultural thing. Um, but I think what hit me hard is just like the whole father aspect, right? And like my daughter is a year and a half, right? And today I took her to to ballet, right? And I'm seeing my daughter hop around, like obviously uncoordinated, just doing her thing, just you know, not you know paying attention to like the dancer or the instructor or not, just doing her own thing. And like you realize how like helpless little daughters are or little children are in comparison to like how well structured and how well your defense mechanism as as an adults are like you you just realize like holy shit like this person completely and utterly depends on me to survive and like and she's in her own little world otherwise like she doesn't understand like the 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 danger and the nature of the world around her and so for me as a father like your your instincts are to protect your instincts are to always you know, keep that individual as safe as possible, even if it means putting yourself in dangerous uh, situations or predicaments. So, like, envisioning how Kobe Bryant, especially someone as focused and as, you know, otherwise as what we have seen, fearless Kobe Bryant is, to be in that moment, goddamn, man, I can't imagine. I cannot imagine what was going through his head because what can you do at that point? Like, literally, what can you do? What, what can you possibly say to your daughter or do for your daughter in that moment. And for me, I guess, as a father, that hit me hard. So, like, the situation and the circumstances surrounding his death was, it's it's just tragic. It's an absolute tragedy. And so, you know, I don't don't know what else there is more to say about it, but I do think that the NBA has gone about it the right way. I wouldn't have necessarily played the games on that day because you could tell the players were just very much distracted 
even the San, especially the San Antonio Toronto game. Like you could tell they were distracted. Um, otherwise, though, I think like the NBA on TNT segment that the LA versus LA game would have otherwise have been. I thought that was outstanding. They did a great job with that. Um, canceling the LA versus LA game, or rather postponing it, was I think a great gesture on the NBA's behalf. And last night in the the, uh, the Lakers-Blazers game, I thought LeBron did an outstanding job. I thought the Lakers organization did an outstanding job with the way they handled it. So if there's any positive that we can extrapolate from all this, um, it's that the NBA and the, its community around them has definitely gotten like closer as a result. And for that, like I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, that was really well put. And yeah, I think they did a great job last night as well. Just... Um honoring him and i think you could kind of tell i said this last night on twitter like you could kind of tell like with how high the emotions were last night like it just would have been unfair to the players Mm. and really to the whole arena staff and just everyone in the lakers organization to have played on tuesday um with emotions still running high like it was just it was just too much and it was good that they postpone that game especially being an LA LA game probably easier to reschedule and last night they did a great job and I think it's really a credit to LeBron like he's really the perfect like person to be the face of the NBA right just to be the person who stays strong in that moment because I wasn't sure if he would even be able to talk like like I thought it was a lot of a lot of pressure like to put on him to make him kind of have this speech to the crowd, but he really he couldn't have done better. Like he, he nailed it so well. And he's really just the perfect person to be in that spotlight and to like honor Kobe the way he did. And it's just a credit to him and a great job by the NBA. And like you said, at least in some ways, like it did bring a lot of fans together and a lot of media people together. And I think that's a really good thing. Um, and Obviously, there's nothing. There's just nothing else to say. Like it's a tragedy. The only thing I would add is that you motherfuckers that are reselling those jerseys that you got at the game last night in LA on eBay, you got to be ashamed of yourself. I see people selling these jerseys, reselling them from like eight hundred to a thousand bucks. Come on now, you let's let's not yeah. profit over this man's death. Let's just let's keep it sentimental. That's a keepsake that you want to. At least I would keep that around forever. But uh, people are going to be people. Uh, I, I hope people know better not to shell out a thousand dollars for that. Don't don't feed into that. Don't feed into the greed. Don't you know reward these individuals for their greed. But uh, you know, not to end it on a bad note. But I do want to say that you know LeBron. Anybody that hates on LeBron, uh, last night he proved nothing but class. Like, and that you could tell that was personal. You can tell that was from the heart, and that's not some scripted thing that he had. And in fact, he threw away the script. Uh, you got to admire it. You got to admire the the personal touch that he put on it, the speech, everything. I thought it was outstanding. So, uh, having said that, I th- I think you know, unless you have anything more to add that you want to say. No, I think I think you said it well. Okay. All right. Well, we'll take our first break. When we come back, we'll get back into the Raptors talk. Stay tuned. We will be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, let's talk Kyle Lowry in all-star status, specifically people hating on Kyle Lowry's all-star status. So this past Thursday, Kyle Lowry was named to his sixth all-star team as a reserve, much to the dismay of many non-Raptors fans. And let's face it, Derek Rose stands out there on Twitter. Uh, but the stats don't lie, right? Um, so far this season, Lowry is averaging just south of 20 points per game. It's at 19.6, but whatever. Uh about four and a half boards, 3.7 assists, a little over one steal, 86% from the line, 34% from deep, which is a little surprising. I thought it'd be a little higher, but it's not far off from his career average, and 41% from the field in just under 37 minutes per game. It's what doesn't come up on the stat sheet that I think people are ignoring. The leadership, the off-ball movement, the charges, the dishes and clearing out the strong side of the defense, etc., etc., uh, why is it that so many people think Lowry shouldn't be in this? Because, I don't know, for me, is this a, just a matter of him not being a household name outside of Canada? Is this just par for the course for Kyle Lowry? We hate on him and it's a meme at this point. What is it? What, what do you think? Um, 
I don't know. Like we talk about this, it feels like we talk about this every year. Like, yeah. why do people hate Kyle Lowry? <laughs> like, it's such a random person to like spend so much negative energy on. <laughs> like, it's not like he's like the biggest star. Like, he gets like the most media coverage. It's just whenever Lowry gets credited for his accomplishments and for his like success like there's always this weird backlash and i don't really get it um but we as raptors fans and raptors media kind of understand uh his value and like i don't i guess i don't particularly care that people are like mad about lowry making the all-star game but it's absolutely well deserved and um and like, I'm glad he got it. I thought he deserved to start alongside Kemba Walker in the backcourt, but I don't think it makes much of a difference. And it still gets that all-star appearance on his resume. Um, yeah, like I don't have much to add. It's weird because a lot of people are talking about specifically Derrick Rose. And, you know, although Derrick Rose has improved this season in comparison to years past, and I, I don't know how much that had to do with the confidence factor or you know, really recovering from the the injuries that he's, you know, sustained. But for me, it's the, the excuse is, well, Derrick Rose is on a shitty team, right? And so because he's on a shitty team, he's not going to be highlighted. Uh, Trey Young, anybody? And I know, like, Trey Young is sort of, like, breaking out as this really, really solid offensive player. But, like, you can't have it both ways, right? You can't say, like, oh, Trey Young is so good, so deserving. Uh, Derrick Rose is deserving, but he's on a shitty team. Atlanta's shittier than Detroit, right? And, and yeah. for me, you know, it's, for me, it's like Kyle Lowry has been here before. He's an NBA champion. What I, it, it baffles me as to what were you expecting? I mean, yeah. Like, I'll, like I think there's some room for, like, bad players on bad teams to get in. Um I didn't love, like, I'm not upset about Trey Young making it, making it in at all. Like, right. I think he could make it as an all-star. I don't think he deserved to start, but, like, he is averaging, like, 29 and 9. I think it's, like, a whole, like, separate class from Derrick Rose. Mm. I think Derrick Rose, like, I wouldn't even have him, like, three spots out. Like, I think Bradley Beal had a better case than him. I think Zach Levine Zach for Levine, the Bulls, yeah. who are some, somehow ninth, despite being 13 games under 500. Um, I think like he had a better case. I think Spencer Dinwiddie from Brooklyn had a better case and Malcolm Brogdon from the Pacers who like we talked about are kind of making moves up in the East and are only like one and a half games out of third. I think that's another player who could have made it and he's kind of solid on both ends of the floor averaging around 17 and seven. So that's like another another quality player and i don't think derrick rose would even be in the conversation if the raptors hadn't been like playing detroit so we see all these derrick <laughs> rose tweets like like i don't i don't really get why he's even in the conversation he's playing well yeah but like he's just not he's not on that level and like and like there will always be a couple like players from bad teams just because not every not every star is going to be on a good team every year but yeah, like you said, like you have to factor team success to some extent. And Lowry, I would say, has been the most impactful player on the Raptors, even though Siakam started so hot. I think Lowry has consistently been the guy for the Raptors this year. And like if they had one guy, like if if they had one guy missing like all their games, like if they had if you took one guy off the roster this year, Lowry or Siakam, um, like I think Lowry would be the bigger loss just up to this point in the season. And maybe that changes if Pascal kind of gets back into our rhythm, but Lowry's kind of been the MVP of the team to me. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's the de facto leader, man. He's the quarterback of the team. And for me, the, the two most, uh, I don't want to say important is the wrong word. Maybe the two, it, uh, how do I put this? If, if both Marcus all and Kyle Lowry were gone for extended period of times at the same time, I think the Raptors would suffer. And I know that, like, it, it's... The, uh, how do I put that? I know Siakam is super yeah. important. Like, I know Fred VanVleet is super important. But their leadership and what they do, like, off-ball, I don't know that other Raptors players can really match that. And that's not to yeah. downplay or discredit their abilities. It's just Gasol and Lowry have it, you know? It's hard to quantify, right? Like, it's hard to, like look at some specific stat or even advanced stat and say like this is what this is what like 
why Marcus Gasol and Kyle Lowry are so important. Right. I think the on-off numbers have been pretty um, pretty telling this year. Like Marcus Gasol has all the best on-off ratings. When he's on the floor, they're so much better. And when he's off, they're like a bit above average. So I think that's like a pretty good indication. Um, Blake Murphy from The Athletic had a really good chart the other day from um, January 29th. So when Lowry passed um, passed Jose Calderon for the assist lead for mm. all time for the Raptors, um, and it was kind of with Lowry and without all the teammates he's had basically in the last seven years of like main rotation players. And you look at like Danny Green with Lowry plus 14, without Lowry plus six. Um, just random, like you can see it all over the place. Like Corey Joseph from a few years ago, plus 8.8 with Lowry on the floor, minus 3.6 without him. And you just go through almost every player and you can basically see the difference. And almost every player is a lot worse without Lowry on the floor. Um, and I think that's really telling just because it doesn't really matter who you surround him with. You surround him with four bench guys and the team's still playing well. You surround him with four starters and the team's going to be incredible and one of the best in the league. And it's just consistently through seven years now, that's always been the case. And Marcus Gasol has kind of done it to a different, to a certain extent. He's kind of repeated the same thing this year where the team is just so much better with him on the floor. The ball moves better. The defense is more organized. And I think that it's hard to, it's hard to describe that for someone who doesn't, like follow the team day to day, like people, fans of other teams who are going to catch the Raptors a couple times a year. Um, but it's just so important. And everyone who watches this team consistently understands that. Yeah, it, it it's kind of a callback for me. Um, obviously, living in the New England area, you get a lot of <laughs> like, you know, Boston truthers over here. And, you know, I, that's to be expected. But, you know, for for Lowry, there's this, I don't know, this this impulse of, of discredit and impulse of hate to him that I just, I, I don't understand to the point where, you know, before the season even started last year, all right, so this is just when we got Kawhi Leonard and just before the season has started. Um, obviously, the hype of, of the Boston Celtics was going to be a thing. It's the beginning of the season. People's emotions are running high. But I remember talking to a friend and he's like, you know, like the Raptors, they're good, but they're like, I'd say 10 steps behind the Celtics. And I'm like, what? whoa, 10 steps behind the Celtics. What? What are you talking about? And he was like, well, you know, Kyle Lowry's not that good in the playoffs. I'm like, what are you talking about? And like, there's this engraved just take on people that playoff Lowry is a thing. And like, you, you see that now in, in present day, people are like, oh, remember the Orlando game? Zero points. Yeah. Okay. What else? Um, I don't know because you don't know. And like when you read <laughs> up the stats, they're like, oh yeah, it's not that bad. I know it's not that bad. And that's the thing. Like there's this immediate thought of playoff Lowry, therefore not an all-star because he had one bad game against Orlando. That's it. That's it. And people don't like, no one's talking about game six of the NBA finals where it came out like guns blazing or put out a masterful performance. I just don't understand. Like there's this narrative that just won't go away. And I guess as Raptors fans, maybe we should just expect it. Yeah. And I mean, even if he was absolutely terrible in the playoffs, this is an award based on the first half of the regular season. True. So look at the first half of the regular season. Like it's as simple as that. He's been, probably one of the five or better most impactful players in the east to start this season um the advanced stats always love lowry just because he does all that stuff that is hard to qualify uh it's hard to quantify and he draws charges he plays really solid defense he's a leader on the floor like you said and just all those things they do add up and yeah like we don't need to rehash more like how he's really been great in the playoffs or at least the last three years he's been really um one of the most important playoff players mm. but like even just looking at the regular season like you can't really you can't really like dispute that he's been a great player and this year especially i think he's taken a step up and he's been a lot better than last year's regular season i'd say and more deserving of an all-star nod than last year when he was kind of passive to start the season even though he was leading the league in assists, like he was a little bit off to start, I would say. Um, so this year, yeah, like I think it's like I wouldn't even have him 
I don't even understand how he's the guy you look at on the ballot and say, oh, that guy doesn't belong. Like Jason Tatum, at least, like I think you could make a case that he didn't deserve it. Like I think you could make a case that Trey Young didn't deserve it. I don't think there's any case to dispute Lowry. No, I agree. And, you know, you look at his his career numbers versus his 2019-20 season numbers, they're nearly identical. And, like, that, when you're talking about a guy that's on, quote-unquote, the wrong side of 30 uh, as a guard in the NBA, like, you sort of expect a downtick. Like, you sort of expect a decline. Lowry has this distinct uh, advantage of being able to sort of recreate his game year after year, right? And you don't necessarily see that. You see players, like, stuck in their ways, sort of, this is how I play the game. I'm going to continue to do this. Like, look at Kyrie Irving. Like, there, there's no stopping how he's going to play. He's going to play that way no matter what, right? And you're sort of, you get what you get. But with Kyle Lowry, like, okay, DeMar DeRozan's not here. Kawhi Leonard's not here. All right, I'm going to ease back on the shooting and be more of a distributor, Right. How many players do you think would do that for the benefit of the team? I don't know that many, especially a 32 at the time year old vet. Like uh, these players, you you would expect to be stubborn in their ways, but Kyle Lowry has time and time again, like either progressed his game or scaled back in certain areas to excel in others. Right, and you see the numbers this year; they're sort of reminiscent of the year before Kawhi Leonard was on the team, and he's able to sort of re up that and to channel that old-esque Kyle Lowry style. For me, it's just those are the things that you don't necessarily see. And unless you're watching him on a day-to-day basis like Raptors fans are, you know, you're not going to recognize it. And you're right, it's the intangibles. It's the intangibles that make him so special. So for me, it's like, I don't know, it, it was it's a no-brainer, right? You saw Derrick Rose last night. Well, Fred Van Vliet plus a bunch of bench guys and Norman Powell <laughs> took it to, I guess, the starting, pretty much the starting lineup of Detroit's uh, team. Like, And this is without Kyle Lowry on the floor and Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose couldn't hold Fred Van Vliet's salt. In no way he's making the All-Star <laughs> team. So for me, it's just obvious that Kyle Lowry is deserving of this. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Kyle might even get, like, people might even discredit Kyle because of how good Fred's been and how good the team's been. Um, like, in his short absence, they went like nine and two mm. against the soft schedule, but still like an impressive stretch. And Fred's been fantastic. And the bench has just been really good, especially lately with Norman Powell coming in. Um, but yeah, like I don't think, I don't think it's ever really fair to do that. I don't like when people look at uh, how good Milwaukee's been with Giannis on the bench and say, oh, how can Giannis be MVP? Well, he's MVP because we, when he's on the floor, they're like historically great versus right. when he's off the floor, they're really good. And Kyle Lowry, it's the same thing. Like when he's off the floor, they're quite good. And when he's on the floor, they're a contender to make the finals. Like, and just that kind of impact is kind of hard to capture when the team's doing really well. And also, um, just to your point about him being adaptable, like, um, I think that's why a lot of national media, like, putting Lowry in the trade machine and like getting him onto other teams. Like people suggested he should be traded to Miami before this. Yes. Season. Um, like he would be a great fit with the Lakers or Clippers. And it's like, these teams don't even have anything to give up. People just want to see what Lowry would look like on those teams, because I think he can fit with any star. He can fit with Kawhi, who's like so ball dominant, but he can also fit with a guy like Siakam who like kind of is better at finishing than handling the ball. Right. And I think that's really a great quality to have from a star because he can fit with anyone else. And like, that's just like not many stars can say that, right? Like DeMar obviously needs the ball in his hands all the time. Lowry can do, he can play off the ball. He can play on the ball. He can play defense and it doesn't really matter who you put next to him. You know, when it comes to, and we can, you know, wrap up the Kyle Lowry talk with this, when it comes to the playoff Lowry narrative, um, Kyle Lowry is not the guy that got benched against LeBron and the Cavaliers uh, in a playoff game. That was DeMar DeRozan. Kyle Lowry was still on the floor. And you don't hear this talk about playoff DeRozan. And if you do, it's it's not nearly as amplified as playoff Lowry. Um, that's not to take anything away from DeRozan. I'm not trying to shit on him or anything. But for me, it's just like there's there are other players that you can look at and say, like, this guy doesn't perform well in the playoffs than Kyle Lowry. Um, it, to me, it's just, it's a straw man, right? It's just pot shots for no reason. But um, for me, I'm just happy that he's able to do this. Like, it, it's obviously meant a lot to him. It meant a lot to the entire team that he was able to get that all-star nod. And for me, there was never a doubt. 
Um, but let's uh, let's turn a corner here. You mentioned Norman Powell earlier and how he's been playing lights out. Uh, I'm going to give you the floor, man. You know, you said the world ain't ready for my Norman Powell over Danny Green argument. So uh, <laughs> why don't you just... I, I'm ready. I'm here for it. So here, I'm, I'm so much so... Let's let's go. Let's 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 hear it. What's up? Um, I mean, I guess the, the world is ready because people seem to agree with it. Like, I didn't see. <laughs> I don't think I saw a single person who like actually disputed that Powell is having a better season than Danny Green. And I mean, if you look at just the basic stats, like counting stats, like it's not even close. Norm's averaging fifteen points to Danny's eight point seven. Um. Like similar rebounds and assists, but I think Norm's a little better off the dribble, a little better attacking the basket. And then the efficiency, it's not even close. Like Norm's effective field goal percentage is five percentage points higher. Like um, if you do per 36, because Norm's playing a little less than Danny, he's actually, or he's playing a little more than Danny, but even in per 36, like it's not really close. Hmm. Um, And just like, I don't even know if there's an argument for Danny Green anymore. I know he was a good defender, but I think he's kind of lost a step this year. Like he's not staying in front of guards as much and he's kind of struggling to keep up. His lateral speed was already like a little shaky last year. Mm. And he really like both of them struggled in the playoffs last year until the Milwaukee series where it was Norm who was the one who stepped up. And Danny kind of had, I guess, one like really good, like classic Danny Green game the whole playoffs, which was um, the game five against Philly when he hit like five or six threes. But other than that, like he struggled the whole playoffs. He's not really comfortable off the dribble. Like I'm, I'm having trouble finding like the argument for Danny green. It was always about consistency. And now we've seen Norman Powell put together this long stretch where he's become a really consistent scorer off the bench. And when Van Vliet and when Siakam were hurt, he was in the starting lineup. So like, do you have any just way to push back, even if, like, just to play devil's advocate? Like, I'm not really sure how. Uh, veteran status? Like, that's the only thing I can think of, because, like, the way Norman Powell has been playing has been absolutely outstanding and lights out. And Danny Green has definitely taken a setback since the playoffs last year. And I'm wondering, um, didn't he have some sort of leg injury or was it a groin injury or something? happened to him last yeah, year but he stayed like towards the end of last season yeah maybe he just hasn't yeah, been right think, since then do you think it's like lingering or something yeah. like yeah maybe he just like didn't heal well too. yeah it's just taken a huge dip like last year he was 45 percent from three like we you know one of the best shooters in the league mm. and we were talking about him as one of the best shooters in raptors history if not the best um for a single season and he's like eight points eight percentage points down he's down to 37 percent and these are i think pretty good looks getting them off lebron's passes and having a guy like anthony davis in the middle who draws a lot of attention so i don't think he's taking tougher shots and yet like he's just really not having a great season so i think um yeah like there's a pretty good argument for Powell, and he's also on a better contract oh yeah yeah and you know like a lot of this this just goes to show about hindsight like you know, a lot of people were bummed out that, you know, not just Kawhi left, that's pretty much obvious, but Danny Green wasn't coming back either. Um, we knew that if Kawhi would come back, then obviously Danny Green would have probably made it work and come back too and ran it back. But this is sort of a blessing in disguise, right? Because if if the Raptors had, yeah. yeah, you know, like imagine him being this inefficient on the team and like uh, the amount of close games that we've had, like it's, even against a team like New York, like imagine if he was shooting this poorly and we were relying on him to get game winning yeah. buckets against New York, like we kind of would have been screwed. And not only that, like you have to think that without him on this team, maybe we wouldn't seen this, this growth and acceleration of Norman Powell. Maybe we wouldn't oh, see yeah. Yeah, Pascal Siakam as taking that extra step forward in terms of like, the amount of possessions that he's getting and the amount of, of times he's able to to have these moments to excel. Like it, for me, it's just things are better this way in a way. Maybe not without Kawhi. Like you can't discredit what he can do for a team. But you know, not having Danny Green on this team, people that were bummed out about it, and I don't know that there were many, but people that were bummed out about it, uh, we're doing okay, and the numbers show it. Yeah, like I think, um, I think with like with. Even with Kawhi back, like I don't think Norm 
grows to this point. Maybe no Siakam still does because like they wanted to feature him this much. Um, but yeah, I don't think Norm like has any chance of getting to this point just because he wouldn't have had the opportunity. Um, that said, like obviously it's still better to have Kawhi than not have Kawhi. Right. But just for Danny, yeah, it might be a blessing in disguise in a way. And Danny did talk about on the low post podcast a couple of weeks ago. And he kind of said that like, even if they had re-signed Kawhi, like um, he doesn't know that he would have gotten like the offer he wanted from the Raptors just because like their, his, their luxury tax bill would have been kind of historically like huge. It would have right. been over 200 million. I think like it would have been tough, even though MLSC can afford it. We know like teams don't want to shell out that much. And I mean, at $15 million a year, he's not looking worth it. Uh, for that contract it's a short-term contract so it's not like crippling or anything just it is like a lot of money for a guy who's just not having a really good season um yeah and Powell like I never really expected this from him but it's it's been like consistent enough for enough games like basically 20 25 games now where he's playing like this and like it's hard to like you can't really discredit him for that like you can't really say oh like he's been inconsistent his whole career because this is a totally new player new player we've seen over this stretch and credit to him yeah it's uh i i i can say that i didn't expect this type of acceleration from him only because I've been burned by him so many times like in, <laughs> within the past at least two years, ever since the extension was signed. Um, and whether that was due to injuries or like just frustration with, with him as a player. Like, but the way he's just been playing has been far more aggressive and with a lot more grace. And I know that sounds like sort of counterintuitive and you know contradictory, but it, it, his explosiveness has been like amped up to 11, while his finesse at the rim has also been really finely tuned. Because you see, if you watch footage of him like two years ago or a year ago, he would still have that explosiveness, but it, it wouldn't stop towards the end of the finish. Like with his layups, it would just like gun it all the way down and he'd brick layups. Now he's learned to sort of like have that soft touch at the rim, or if not, just go for a straight slam and pick up an and one or just pick up some two sweet moment of the weeks, we'll get there. But um, <laughs> when it comes to Norm, like he's just been a joy to watch. And, you know, the shooting and the three-point shooting especially has been just amazing. And, you know, like I've always thought he had a, a really nice form with the shot. And now it's just he's even really honed that craft to it to the nth degree. That's just I am really encouraged by what I see. So much so that it excites me now. And it sort of comforts me that, you know, if all this sort of breaks up and goes to shit next year, uh, at least we have someone stable that could act as a starter in the lineup in Norman Powell that we don't have to worry about. Yeah, that's such a good point, too, about how he's kind of, he's still that aggressive, super energetic guy driving to the rim, but he's just, he's learned not to just put his head down blindly and attack and <laughs> get, and break layups or get a charge or something. And he's learned to kind of use that finesse or kick it out if he needs to. And, like you said, we don't want to get into the too sweet moment, but like just him going to the rim and driving left and then suddenly dunking it like with his right hand is just incredible to watch. And like he didn't really have that in his game where he can just spring up and dunk whenever as long as he's close to the rim. And it's really been amazing to watch his development. And it's another success story with their Raptors developing a guy to go with Van Vliet and Siakam. Um, yeah, I don't think either of us were ever sure that Powell would get there, but he's really blossoming this year. Well, there you have it. If anybody disagreed with the take that Norman Powell is better this year than Danny Green, not that I, I can't imagine that you would, especially you're right. You did get a lot of positive feedback. I didn't really see much, pushback, <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah, I wasn't expecting it. Honestly, like I thought people would be like, oh, well, Danny's a better defender, which like maybe he still is but i think the gap is like yeah short. It's like it's not as much of a difference but yeah i didn't hear much from people well uh if you disagree listener uh feel free to hit <laughs> us up and if you do disagree make sure you look at the numbers first and maybe that will change your mind before you hit us up but uh uh we're gonna take our second break when we come back we're gonna talk the trade deadline stay tuned this is the overtime podcast network <laughs> Yeah. 
All right, so we're just uh, under a week away from the trade deadline. Um, there's been a lot of scenarios tossed around on Twitter about, you know, what are the Raptors going to do? Are they going to be aggressive? Are they going to stay in pat? Ooh, Gasol and Ibaka and Lowry may be available for the right offer. Who knows? Um, I don't know. For me, it's just like it makes more sense for them to stay in pat. Um, we've, we've talked about this before on the show, but now that we're getting close to it, we can break it down a little bit more. What do you think they're going to do? Do you think that the Raptors are going to make much noise? And, you know, even if you don't, is there a scenario that you can can think of that you would like for them to do? So it's sort of a twofold question. So chop it up. What do you got? Uh, well, the rule with fake trades should be like, if you're going to have fake trades or trade targets, like you have to say what you're willing to give up, right? Mm. And I don't, I don't think there's like a really good, it's the boring answer, but I don't think there's a good, trade scenario for the Raptors at least in terms of a major trade maybe a second round pick for kind of a like third string depth guy um or just another shooter on the wing whatever just some minor like bench acquisition but I don't think they're moving starters I don't think they're moving Serge Ibaka even or Norman Powell um so I think they're probably going to stand pat and maybe pick up like a small acquisition like I said but I don't think it's moving the needle for them in either direction. I think they like where they're going. And as long as everyone stays healthy, they've got like a suddenly really deep team now, a great defensive team. And like we said, probably the second best team in the East with an outside shot at the finals. So why, why shake it up at this point? What do you think? Well, I was of the same opinion. Like for me, it's just, it's not just that I think the Raptors are, are good enough as they are. It's even if they wanted to make an upgrade, you'd have to give up something substantial, right? Like last year, I, I know a lot of people have a personal connection or personal love for, for Jonas Valanciunas, but the upgrade there was pretty substantial when you're getting a guy like, you know, Mark Saul in return and Delon Wright, like whatever, like no disrespect to Delon Wright, but he wasn't <laughs> pushing us to, to a playoff. Um, you know, when you have someone like Mark Saul and the things that we've already discussed, like the off ball things, um, it's the upgrade is clear, but for me, like it, it all depends also on what's available. And when you see the teams that are out of it, not many of them are like, have these assets that the Raptors would be like dying for. And a lot of people love Andre Drummond. We were talking about it, you know, on Twitter last night. Like, I just don't understand it. I, I guess what people are looking at is the, the rebounds and how the inefficient the Raptors are in that department and how you know you want to upgrade that, so you're thinking, all right, let's let's trade one of Ibaka and Gasol and get a guy that can eat up boards and clean up underneath. Yeah, that okay. He, I'm not gonna take that away from him. He had a double double last night. He had you know, and good for him, good on him. <laughs> but but like you lose a lot when you get rid of one of those two. Like you lose a lot of floor stretching. You lose a lot of basketball IQ. You lose a lot of chemistry. You lose a lot of just like overall. I think better production from one of Gasol or Ibaka. So for me, like, it just doesn't make sense for for the Raptors to be chasing someone like that. But, you know, if we're going to play fantasy GM here, the only thing that I could think of that wouldn't hurt the Raptors in, in the defensive end, but maybe give you a slight tick on the offensive end, um, for me, if I'm going to give up one of Serge Ibaka or Gasol, I'm, I'm leaning towards Ibaka. That's just me. Like, it, it has no nothing yeah, to do with disrespect. No yeah, like, I, I, I want Gasol in the playoffs, especially if we're in a situation where we have to face Philadelphia again. Like, I trust that Gasol v. and uh, you know, pairing. So, for me, if you want to get better on the offensive end, which the Raptors are sort of middle of the pack in that area, Gallinari wouldn't be the worst person to attain, and he's also on an expiring deal. And it would make, you know, allow Surge to go back to OKC, I guess, and have some sort of reunion, which is fun. Um, I don't know how eager they would be to want to give him up, Gallinari, that is. And uh, also, you lose a lot of rim protection, and you still don't improve in the rebounding. Um, so for me, it's just like, that's the only thing I can think of, but I'm squinting hard to try to find scenarios here. Yeah, I've seen the Gallinari talk, and like, it makes sense. Um, I think like, it's hard to see them parting with Serge for that just because like no one really trusts Chris Boucher in the playoffs. Like no <laughs> one's going to trust like this six foot 10 
200 pound guy like he's right. he's been good like his progress has been good he's talented but like it's just it's risky to be playing this guy in the playoffs like and against Philly they even like the two big look with Ibaka and Gasol and I think Ibaka is also big in the locker room like you said um, making a big trade kind of affects the chemistry especially if, as well as it's been going this year and you've got this championship core all together um and yeah, like the Thunder, I think maybe they would save some money in luxury tax, which we know like a team from Oklahoma cares about um, and they've cared about in the past. But they're 30 and 20, like they're tied for sixth in the West, essentially. Like they have a chance to kind of move right. up the standings, like get them and get themselves into a pretty good position. And I know that may have not been their goal going into this year, but like that's a great thing for their franchise to keep their fans really engaged like they've had a great season so it would be kind of weird to me for them to part ways with him and it's not the cleanest fit next to adams is ibaka is starter there like it's kind of a weird trade for them to make besides just the luxury tax implications so um so like i don't know if it's the smooth if it's the cleanest trade for either team and i don't think the raptors are going to part ways with powell just to get Gallinari for one year like I don't think it makes much sense with the way Powell's progressing and like you said if it blows up they have him going forward so it's hard to form a trade there that might be the best option but it's out of like a pool of really bad options including Drummond yeah you know if if the Raptors were on like the trajectory that you know, it, let's say in the beginning of the season we we saw all these injuries that would have occurred, and we were like, "Well, they're they're screwed. Like they're not they're not making yeah. they're not making the playoffs. You might as well sell off and get what you get." Um, if they were playing bad and weren't winning and weren't second in the East, even if they were like hovering at seven and eight, I'd be like, you "Probably are better off just selling." Um, yeah. If they were in that situation, then I can see them making these types of moves and not for Gallinari because you know he's expiring he'll be a free agent next year maybe for someone with a little bit more control but for me it just makes more sense to to maintain what you got and just to like hold your cards and just see what you got in the playoffs because for me like it it, we're talking about the Raptors being the second best team in the east and obviously the clear-cut first is Milwaukee um but for me like they have a legitimate shot I really believe they have a legitimate shot of making the Eastern Conference Finals. and But that's on the pretense that everything else around them stays the same. And I don't know what kind of a move Miami would make to really accelerate them in front of the Raptors. Um, I don't... I, I know they're they're trying to... to I, Who were they trying to go for? Was it was it Cat that they were shooting for? They were trying um, to make yeah, some moves. That's not, yeah. Like they're like you. I think I get what you're saying. Like, there's no realistic, like, huge upgrade that's pushing them to like the clear cut second yeah. in the East, right? Like Chris Paul was the guy before the season in rumors, and Miami basically said no thanks to that contract. But like we see how Chris Paul is playing, like he would be the guy that pushes them into that tier. And I don't think like there's no chance he's being traded now. So maybe in the summer, but not right now. And, right. and I think that kind of leaves the Raptors in a good position. Like you said, Danny Ainge is pretty hesitant to make those midseason trades, and Miami has like a tough roadmap to do anything to pass them. Yeah, I, I think Aldridge was rumored to be on the trade docket, uh, and that's who Miami wanted to chase. Like, But I'm thinking to myself, like, what, what are you, you're going to have to give up something pretty good <laughs> Like obviously you're not going to give up Bam, but you're going to give up something substantial. So like you'll you'll probably take a couple steps back. I don't know. For me, it's just like also Derrick Rose. Apparently, the asking price for Derrick Rose is a lottery pick, and I'm just like, no one's giving you that. Like no, no. That's it. Like you're trying to accelerate this rebuild, Detroit. Like you know, you know, slow your roll. This is this is more Derrick Rose talk. Than yeah, I'm wanted. sorry. Like, we mentioned <laughs> no, no. it. We we've I'm hit good. our we've hit our limit. But for me, it's just you're right. The the teams that are quote-unquote threatening to the Raptors in terms of, you know, trade acquisitions to accelerate them in front of them. I just don't see it. I, I don't see a lot of noise being made. This is not nearly as identical to last year as people want to think. And I think when when you hear the the term trade deadline, you want to think of different scenarios that will really, like, rattle the cages. And, like, if the Raptors stand pat, they're failures. Like, no, not really, because, like, they're so good right now. Like, you're, we're seeing this team... 
if it's not broke, don't fix it. And I hate that cliche. I hate knocking down cliches on the podcast. But like, why would you mess with something if it's not broken? For me, it's, it makes more sense sense for them to just stand still and see what happens. Yeah, and the NBA trade deadline, it usually is pretty like tame. Like, there's nothing really big most years. Last year was kind of the exception to that with the Gasol trade. Um, the Tobias Harris trade was a little earlier, and then the Milwaukee getting Meritage, like everyone kind of upgrading. But I think it felt more open last year. I think a lot of teams kind of are probably scared of the Bucks this year. Mm. I don't think the Raptors are one of those teams, though. And I think. Like the nightmare scenario, I guess, for the Raptors is that the Sixers kind of get it together and become like that second scary team in the East. Um, and maybe that's a long shot at this point, but I still think they have the most talent. I think they that size is going to be a big problem in the playoffs and them in a six seed like they are now, like I think they'd probably win that first round matchup and then you end up with them in the second round. And like you said, like having Mark Gasol against Embiid is a pretty big comfort. Um, but like that is like the most likely, I think, of the of that secondary group. I think the Sixers are kind of the highest ceiling team of that group. Right. Um, but with that said, if they end up in like the four or five matchup, then the Raptors don't have to worry about them. It's them versus Milwaukee in the second round, let's say. And then like and then it's really just about beating one of those teams, not both of them. And like you said, I also agree, like they have a pretty solid chance against a team like the Bucks, even though they'll be underdogs. I think they do have a real chance. And that is basically your path to the finals. Well, it should be interesting. I, I think that you're right. I think we'll see something much like I think two years ago where there was like a minor move. What was it like uh, Bruno for Malachi? I think it was, you yeah. know, like, we'll see something like that. Like, it will be like, who the fuck? Like, it, it'll just be these small <laughs> trades. Or if anything, we're going to see, um, like, maybe something from the buyout market. <coughs> Vince, uh, maybe we'll see something like that. But uh, otherwise, I think the Raptors stand pat. I, I really hope they um, they extend O'Shea Brissett. Like, they mm. sign him to a real NBA contract. Like, I think he would be deserving of that, um, especially based on his play from earlier this season. Um, I've heard from a little bit of an inside source to some extent, Ooh. um, uh, that Wanchu Hernan Gomez from the Nuggets is a possibility as like a second round pick for him, but that's kind of like a random, like I said, like random third string, not right. an impactful trade. Um, not at least not much. So like nothing big. I think we're in agreement there. All right, I won't tell anybody that Masai personally told you this. So uh, we'll, <laughs> um, let's take our final break. When we come back, we'll, uh, we'll touch on the two sweet moment of the week. Hang tight. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. It's time for the two sweet moment of the week here on the South of the Six podcast. Now call me crazy, but I have a feeling you and I may have the same two sweet moment of the week so i'm gonna let you take the floor first what say ye okay i think i know what yours is gonna be so i'm gonna do a quick pivot from that ah! <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna go with um kyle lowry dropping uh svi mikhailu from the pistons last <laughs> night did you see that yes. it was kind of easy to miss i don't think they even had a replay but he just um he crossed them over, um, blew by him in transition, and then I think he had his layup goldtended. Yes, uh, yes, so let's yes. give it to that one. The six-time All-Star. I like it. It's subtle. You have to look for it. It's hidden. I like it. Um, <laughs> mine was the right, obvious. Go ahead. Yeah, the Norman Powell baptizing Andre Drummond <laughs> in the fourth quarter. Um, I think he got. Is that what the play that he got injured on his finger? Um, I think it was a different one, but yeah, like he just. I think he had like three massive dunks in this game like two of them on drummond and one of them on bruce brown yeah like the, he the was first just, one. he was all over the place last night it was amazing Incredible. yeah the first quarter one with uh surge with that little sweet bounce pass underneath and powell just got up that was that was two that was second on the list but you know the, the, capping it off with everybody wanting andre drummond and Norman powell just eating his <laughs> lunch saying no we don't need this guy like i'm enough for me it's just i i love the intensity i love it and 
For me, Norman Powell has taken quite a few two sweet moment of the week, so you got to give it to oh, him. Yeah. He's, he's just been, he's been outstanding. Uh, Time-honored Raptor tradition to dunk on Andre Drummond <laughs> in Detroit. <laughs> it's like DeMar, James Johnson. Over the years, they've had a lot. <laughs> in uh, in Toronto part two, in uh, you know, the home away from home. By the way, that crowd last night, amazing. Wow. Yeah. Really? <laughs> I think Matt Devlin and, oh, there was something from the Pistons. Um, I think Reggie Jackson said something like, like, um, or Reggie Jackson or Marquise Morris, like one of them said, um, one of them said like, yeah, it was disappointing like that we've got like more Raptors fans than Pistons fans in this arena. And then the, Reggie Jackson was like, uh, get used to it. Yes. <laughs> it, was, it was ridiculous. Like even the players know, like that's why when, um, when those rumors of Fred Van Vliet, like signing with Detroit came up, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. is he going to, is he really going to go there? <laughs> like, no. he'll have the same fans at least. I mean, he'd be the head of the snake when it comes to the rebuild, but I, I, I don't know how important that is to him. Um, but that's a topic for a different day. Uh, <laughs> before we get into predictions, I do want to note that uh, with last night's win, not only did the Raptors get 10 in a row, I touched on Nick Nurse becoming the, the coach and his staff for one of the all-star teams. And also, uh, Serge Ibaka has become the first player in NBA history to have 1,500 blocks and 500 made three-pointers. So shout out to both Nick Nurse and Serge Ibaka. Um, but let's get into it. We got... I'll say five. We got four NBA games and one other game to predict. Start with the Raptors, though. Uh, Sunday versus Chicago. Wednesday versus Indiana. Friday at Indiana. Saturday at Brooklyn. So there's a back-to-back sprinkled in yet again. A Friday, Saturday, back-to-back. What say ye Sunday versus Chicago? It's got to be 11 in a row, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. All right. That, we don't have to touch much on that. Uh, Wednesday <laughs> versus Indiana. Uh, this is at home, uh, home at home to, to start. I'm saying they're going to take the first one at home. What do you say? Yeah, I'm with you there. I think they split it. Yeah, oh, yes. Okay, I agree. Not to get ahead. <laughs> no, 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 I agree. No, that's fine. It's, I, I think they'll split those games, uh, but they'll hit that. I think the franchise record would be 12 if they won against yeah. Indiana on Wednesday. So there you go. They'll break, they'll break the record. Yeah, franchise record, 12 games. We yeah. need that win. We need that win on Wednesday. And then Saturday at Brooklyn, I'm saying a win. Yeah, same here. I don't care so what Kyrie's doing. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's three out of four. Three and one. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Just that Indiana game on a Friday. Um, yeah. Indiana's tough. And with Oladipo back, that's going to be a tough matchup. But uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see it go like 2-0. and I wouldn't, be com- I wouldn't be completely shocked to see it 0-2 either. But probably the 1-1 home split would make sense. I feel like this happened last year where they played Indiana a home and away. Um, and they actually reversed it. They lost at home and took it away. So maybe you see something like that happen. Something cute. Who knows? Um, yeah, I, I never liked those home and homes because it's like, it, like a. I guess it's supposed to be to feel like a playoff series, but it's just like it's not. I don't know. It's it's a little annoying. Like especially you catch a team when they have all their injuries, or you have all your injuries, and then like you don't play them again until like three months later. Yeah, I didn't mind it with Boston. Uh, in December, right? That's, it was Christmas, and then they played them mm-hmm. right after that. I didn't mind that because it's Boston, and you know I feel like that would be a fun little potential playoff matchup. So if that happens, cool. But with Indiana, like I don't know, you could pick better teams, NBA. But uh, anyways, uh, Super, <laughs> Super Bowl is also tomorrow, and if you guys are NFL fans, well, we're gonna predict the Super Bowl. We got the 49ers versus uh, the the Chiefs. What do you say, man? Like, for me, this is, I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. And it sucks that my Buffalo Bills aren't in it, whatever. But uh, what do you say? Um, I want to, I want the, I kind of want the Chiefs to win, but I think the 49ers are going to win it. Really? Yeah, I think they're kind of more well-rounded. Like, everyone always picks the team with the better quarterback, right? But, like, the 49ers are pretty well-rounded. I think their defense is a little better. And they're just, like, yeah, like I, I don't. I guess you don't want to bet on uh, Jimmy G, but like they have they have a good running game. They have Kelsey and all those guys. Um, what's his name? Mostert. Like mm. I, I just got into football like second half of the season. Oh, <laughs> so nice. This is not my expert opinion or anything, but yeah, like I think they're pretty well rounded. They have a lot of options. Um, 
and yeah, like I'm, I don't like I wouldn't be surprised to see it go either way, but I think it will be a close game. And yeah, that's my pick, I guess, for now. <laughs> I, I say, oh, really, because I feel like the, the Chiefs are the, the, the sexy pick here just because of Mahomes. But for me, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of like everything else, like offense wins games, defense wins championships. And for me, the 49ers have the clear cut better defense in uh, comparison to, to Kansas City. So I'm leaning towards the 49ers as well. I, oh, do, okay. I do think it's going to be close. But I also think it's going to be a high-scoring game for sure. Yeah, seems like it. Yeah, I'm hoping right. for a not boring Super Bowl, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> Better than last year, definitely. Yes, yes, yes. And I have some, some, uh, you know, of course, Monopoly money on some squares here. So, I don't, do, you, <laughs> yeah. do you play squares? Do you know what squares are? Um, no. What is it? <laughs> so it's like a chart. It's got a hundred squares on a chart with uh, numbers zero through nine placed randomly on the X and Y axis. And uh, you put your name in these squares, however many you want to buy, before you put the numbers down. And it sounds confusing right now, but basically, if you end up with, like, say, three and seven, three for Kansas City, seven for uh, San Francisco, and the end of the first quarter, that's the score, you win money. You win a quarter of the share. Yeah. That seems like a long time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it, it. From the more squares you buy, the better chance you have, right? So, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, you, but you get like random numbers like five and two and i'm like i'm not winning anything like there's no score <laughs> with that but um yeah it, it's a fun game so uh, if you're if you're getting into football next year i highly recommend you do it because it's fun if you want to gamble if not worry about it, but, um, yeah for sure that will do it for today's show Lior. again i thank you for coming on on such short notice it was it was a pleasure to have you you know the deal promote promote any and everything you got going on man floor is yours um, so I haven't written anything Raptors in a couple of weeks, but I should be getting back to writing soon for Raptors Rapture. I'm also doing kind of a student newspaper, um, a semester at the student newspaper for some school credits. So I had some sports stuff going on there. Um, we have a print edition dropping next week, which will have um, a piece on kind of my school, Ryerson University's players reacting to... Um, the death of Kobe Bryant, and also um, another piece from last week on um, students naming kind of their disappointing sports moments as uh, their most disappointing moments as sports fans, kind of in light of the anniversary of Kobe Bryant's 81-point game, which mm. was uh, January 22nd. So um, check all that out. It's uh, thebriarsonian.ca, and you can follow me on Twitter at Lior Kozai, L-I-O-R-K-O-Z-A-I. Sounds good. All the links to that and your Twitter will be in the description of the show. Everybody is just one click away. I highly encourage the follow if you haven't already, which if you're listening to this, you probably do. But uh, before we head out, I just want to say, uh, guys, keep your eyes and ears peeled for the end of February. South of the Six podcast has a special episode coming up the last weekend of February. I'm not going to give spoilers to, as to what it is about or what it pertains to, but... Keep your eyes and ears open, especially on the Twitter sphere. You might have picked up on it already, but in the event that you haven't, keep your eyes open. It's going to be fun. Having said that, man, (laughs) uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the South of the Six podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at South of the Six and subscribe to our show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Yeah, we're everywhere. While you're at it, if you liked what you heard, do us a solid and leave us five stars and a quick review. We appreciate it. Thanks again. Go Raptors.